Hannah's going to read scripture. After scripture, there's going to be a video. So you turn your attention to the screen after she gets done reading. And before she starts reading, can we encourage our sister real fast before she gets going? Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Voy a leer Romanos capítulo 9, versículos 6 hasta 13. No que la palabra de Dios haya fallado, porque no todos los que descienden de Israel son israelitas, ni por ser descendientes de Abraham son todos hijos, sino en Isaac te será llamado descendencia. Esto es, no los que son hijos según la carne son los hijos de Dios, sino los que son hijos según la promesa, son contados como descendientes. Porque la palabra de, de la promesa es esta. Por ese tiempo vendré, y Sara tendrá un hijo. Y no solo esto, sino también cuando Rebeca concibió de uno, de Isaac, nuestro padre, pues no habían aún nacido, ni habían hecho aún ni bueno ni mal, para que el propósito de Dios, conforme a la elección, permaneciese, no por las obras, sino por el que llama. Se le dijo, el mayor servirá el menor. Como está escrito, a Jacob amé, más a Esaú aborrecí. Isn't it funny? We think that we are searching for God when God is actually searching for you. Isn't it funny how we say we found God when God was never lost? God actually found you. The reason why God found you is because God has promised to find you. This morning, I want to tag my text, God's word in salvation. God's word in salvation. Writer, speaker Lewis says, yes, somewhere People still make and keep promises. They choose not to quit when the going gets rough because they promise once to see it through. They stick to lost causes. They hold on to love grown cold. They people who have become pains in the neck. Thought I would have got an amen on that one. They still dare to make promises and care enough to keep the promises they make. I want to say to you that if you have a ship, you have not deserted. If you have people, you will not forsake. If you have causes, you will not abandon. Then you're somewhat like God. What a marvelous thing a promise is. When a person makes a promise, 
She reaches out into an unpredictable future and makes one thing predictable. She will be there even when being there costs her more than she wants to pay. When a person makes a promise, he stretches himself out into circumstances that no one can control and controls at least one thing. He will be there no matter what the circumstances turn out to be. With one simple word of promise, a person creates an island of certainty and a sea of uncertainty. What a wonderful thing when a person keeps their word. I'll just put it to you like my father used to say, son, if a man can't keep his word, he ain't nothing. In other words, measure a man's character by his ability to keep his word. However, friends, if we are honest, even the best of us break our promises at times. Can we be real this morning? At times, those promises are broken due to something outside of our power. But what shall we say about God? Does God keep his promises? The God who says he will never leave or forsake us, does he keep his promises? The God who said, if any man believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, does he keep his promises? The God who says nothing in all of creation can separate us from his love, does he keep his promises? Life is certainly a sea of uncertainty, but that rock-solid island in the midst of the sea, my friends, is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus cannot lie or break a promise. I like the way that sounds. I'll play it back for you. Jesus cannot lie and Jesus cannot break a promise. All right, it ain't hit you yet. Let me do it again. Jesus cannot lie or Jesus cannot break a promise. I thought I, I, thought I was in a room full of believers. Let me try it again. I'm going to try it one more time. And after that, I'm done with y'all. I'm going to shout on my own. Jesus cannot lie or he cannot break a promise. All right, somebody. I just wanted to make sure I was in the right place. Most of us in the room would amen that God keeps his word. But believe it or not, our next chapter in Romans, Romans 9, is a defense that God keeps his word. Mainly that God keeps his word to his people. That God is the one who holds the love that grows cold, stays with people who wish not to stay with him. He is a God that does not forsake his people. He sticks with his original people, but Romans 9 through 11 exists in the Bible to defend that God does not forsake his promises like those who forsake Chick-fil-A for that new chicken sandwich at Popeye's. Y'all didn't see that one coming, but I threw it in there for free. In fact, I went to Popeye's and they ain't had no chicken sandwiches yesterday. I was a little bit upset. Y'all get used to it. I got a bunch of these Chick-fil-A and Popeye's up in here just for y'all. I brought, I wrapped it up for y'all. But God don't dip on us like those who dipped on Chick-fil-A. But you may be wondering, why 
Is this even a question? That does God keep his promise? Well, friends, have you ever doubted the promises of God? Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever wondered in your storm whether God was going to live up to what God said he would live up to? Well, people in the Bible question God as well. And Paul comes to defend the faithfulness of God. And the reason there needs to be an explanation for God is because God's chosen people, Israel as a whole, are not turning to Christ and being saved. This is the issue in Romans 9. The God's chosen people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they are perishing and going to hell. And Paul needs to defend why this is happening if they are God's chosen people. It appears that God has abandoned his promise and his people. Now, the defense that Paul uses to defend God's faithfulness is the sovereignty of God's grace. In other words, God is sovereign in whom he gives grace to and loses none whom he chooses to save. So Paul's basic argument for why many Jewish people are not being saved is that they don't belong to God. Friends, someone who is ethnically Jewish does not mean they are God's child. Let me put it in another way. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you Christian. That's going to help a whole lot of people. Just because you say you're a child of God does not make you a child of God. We don't make ourselves Christians. God does. We do not make ourselves believers. God does. We don't make ourselves be born again. God does. This explanation has brought many questions. One example, do we choose God or does God choose us? In the next few chapters, we will encounter doctrines like unconditional election and the divine sovereignty and human will. Many people have debated over these kind of chapters. Many people have divided over these chapters. I want to say a couple things before we dive into such, such hard doctrine. First and foremost, we never, ever, ever approach the Bible like a science project. God will not just be simply observed. He will be worshiped. And so we are not coming to a science project. We are coming to a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time you come to the word, you're coming face to face with God. I want to remind you of that. Here's the second thing. Is that we need to approach these things very humbly. These are secondary issues. These are things that good, well attending, loving Christians have debated over. And if you go to church long enough, there's going to be some debate among us. But we're sure on this one thing, that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose on the third day for our justification. And that's the ground which we all stand on. My hope is more than anything, we will see how committed and faithful God is to his people. For if God is not faithful to his word, then we ought not trust the Bible. We ought not come to church and we ought to pack up and go home. If God is not faithful to his word, because I don't know about you, I don't need one more uncertain thing in my life. 
I need God to be sure. I need God to be true. If he's not true, if if he's not the absolute reality by which all other realities exist, then then I might as well pack up because I don't need religion. I need God. So, friends, right out the gate, we run into Paul and Paul keeps it real. Paul is struggling. Paul shares his pain with us. One of the things I love about Paul is that Paul is not ashamed to show his feelings. You know, most guys don't show their feelings. You ask them, are they feeling anything? They say, yes, I feel it in my heart, but, but they won't express anything. Right, gentlemen? See, there it is right there. We hear you, pastor, in our heart. Here's Paul right here. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. But I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I would wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In these opening verses of chapter 9, Paul reveals his heart for his people, the Jews. Paul deeply cares that there are people like him that are perishing. Paul has taught us in Romans that salvation is not by work or ethnic identity. Instead, we are saved from God's wrath that is ultimately revealed in hell by trusting in Jesus Christ. But many of Paul's fellow Jewish people are, are, are so distrusting of the cross. They are not buying into this Jesus is the only way. What does Paul feel because of this? He says, great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. There it is. A pain and hurt that does not go away. In other words, there is a cut there, but it's one of those cuts that comes with that throbbing pain. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. You ever got cut and sometimes you get cuts and you don't know it's there, but there's some cuts that it has that throbbing pain to it. Paul feels a throbbing pain for those who are perishing. Friends, my question to you is how do you feel about people lost around you? Is there a throbbing heartfelt pain at night for you? When is the last time you were burdened to pray for a lost sinner? When was the last time God woke you up in the middle of the night to pray for someone who was lost? When was the last time, friends? When was the last time it moved you to think that men and women were going to hell? Is there any motivation to warn people that outside of a saving faith in relationship with Jesus, there is no hope in salvation? I think it's important that we do not Answer that too quickly. Can you, like Paul, call on a witness of the Holy Spirit and to call your heart as a witness that you feel uneasing anguish for those who are perishing? And if you do not feel that, pray right now that God will give you a desire for people who are lost. People that you pass at work your neighbors who you've known for 10 years that you haven't even engaged. Pray for those who you pass in the gym, those whom you pass 
while you're out to eat. Pray that God will give you a burden for souls. And I promise you, if you pray that prayer, God will share that burden with you. Just give me just a little bit of how you feel, God. And I think when we pray this prayer, it'll break some of the selfishness in our lives. This self-consuming attitude that life is all about me. And to wake up and open your eyes and see the world the way that God sees the world. It ought to bother Christians that people are perishing and we got the good news to save them. God, give us a burden in this church for the world. The world must know that we love them and that we are concerned about them. This is why we do things like finding outside, Awana outside, while we take prayer walks and go and pray with people. We're not just doing this just to do it. We're doing it because the love of God compels us to do it. We're not doing this so we can get a badge. We're not doing this so people can say, look at them. No, we're doing it because as people see that we care, it opens up doors to ask us, why do you care? And we can tell them that there's love that we've experienced, this love that has changed us, this love that has transformed us now is in the inside of us and it compels us. I can barely help myself, brother and sister. I used to be all about me, but now that I'm all about him, it seems like he keeps sending me and sending me and sending me. Let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest. Let's be real. Let's just go ahead and keep it 100. People avoid certain churches to avoid carrying that weight. Most people want churches that will carry that weight for them and not ask anything of them. Therefore, we have so many Christians spiritually out of shape. They avoid churches that challenge them to get under the weight of caring for people who are lost. The constant burden of the reality that people are headed to hell. They try to avoid it like I try to avoid squats at the gym. Boy, y'all should see me. I'll be dodging. Every time Jonathan says it's time to do squats, I say, my knee. My. I don't even say knee. I say, knee. My knee hurt. I hate getting up under that uh, squat bench. But the outcome is worth it. Especially when I go play basketball with them young dudes, way younger than me. And I jump in the air. I told y'all this before. Last time I jumped in the air, I seen the bottom of somebody's shoe over my head. And all I knew, the only conclusion I could come to was whoever's over my head is getting the ball and I'm not. That's all. That's all I knew. But Paul explains all Jewish people are not God's people. And that he's broken. That many of them will not be saved. But Paul also explains that Israel has been greatly privileged, that Israel has been greatly blessed, that God has done for the Jewish people what he has not done for all people. Well, you just hold on because I got something for church folks as well. But let me talk about the Jewish people first. Although some of the Jewish people are lost, God has been incredibly gracious to them. It's important that we understand this. This will help us to see the relationship between Judaism and Christianity. This will help us to refute false teachings like that of the Hebrew Israelites. This will help us to see that Christianity is not a white man's religion and it didn't start in America. Christianity started in the Middle East and would have been first known as Judaism, 
What's the difference? Judaism is the preview of the movie. What does the preview do? It gives us a glimpse of the whole. Gives us a glimpse of what's to come. It is, if Judaism is the preview, then Christianity is the movie. The Jewish people got the preview of the Messiah before the Messiah hit the earth. They were privileged to see previews of Christ. See, privilege doesn't always have to be bad. Paul shows us that the Israelites were privileged to have the preview, which is the Old Testament. Are you with me this morning? This is what he says. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Talk to us, Paul. They were in a special covenant relationship with God and were considered to be his people. All of the Old Testament prophets and prophecies were given to the Jewish people. All of the promises concerning the Messiah and the coming kingdom were given to them. They had a head start in the race. The people of Israel had been given more light than any people group in the world. They had, they had the sun and everybody else had a flashlight. But don't judge them, church. Because you sitting here today gives you a head start as well. That doesn't matter if you go to church. That doesn't matter if you read your word, if you miss Jesus in doing so. The issue with the Jewish people is they had a whole lot of knowledge about God, but they miss God. Do you know that you can pray and read your word and still miss God? You know how I many people come to church and still miss God? They can quote scriptures and still miss God? Can have the preview and still miss God. They became so bogged down in the letter of the law and the religious rituals that they missed their Messiah when he came. They celebrated the preview, but they rejected the movie when it came. And you can go to church and you can read your Bible and reject Jesus. We see this clearly in John chapter 5. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life, but it is they that testify about me. When the Messiah did come, he was born from among them as one of their own. No other people had ever had such a privilege. God became a man and was born among the Jewish people. And yet when he manifested himself to them, they refused to have him rule over them. John 1.11 says this. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Many were excited during the preview, but disappointed with the movie. Thus, Paul must address if Israel is God's chosen people, how can any of them perish? If Israel is God's chosen people, how can any of them perish? Why should you pay attention to what comes next? Because as we know, we Gentiles are also God's people. And a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. And if God won faithful to the Jewish people, then the Gentiles can't trust God neither. But did God really fail to save the Jewish people? Did God really fail at his promises? Paul goes on in verse 6 for his defense. Children of DNA or children of the promise. Children of DNA or children of the promise. Look what he says. 
But it is not as though, here's the argument, it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Y'all get ready to get y'all Bible teaching on. Here it is. All right. There's a lot to learn here. A lot here. I'm excited to teach it. If you have ever watched the Maury show. I knew I was going to have to pause because I know y'all like to play religious up in here. Y'all ain't never seen the Maury show. Ain't nobody in here. Y'all ain't never said, look at his nose, Maury. He looked just like him. I'm back to the block cuz I don't want her calling me no more. You know, anyway. Maury, Maury reminds us that DNA matters. DNA identifies you with your father and your father with you. But how much does DNA matter in salvation? Does DNA connect us with God? Does ethnic roots save us in any way? This is critical, is it not? Because there are a lot of people trying to get back to their African and Egyptian roots to prove that they are the people of God. And friends, quite frankly, I'm not against us understanding where we came from. I'm not against us understanding our history. I think that we ought to do that. But your African and Egyptian roots can't save you. I knew I was going to get a few claps on there. There are a lot of white supremacists. Clinging to a white Jesus and telling others they must assimilate to whiteness in order to be saved. Does DNA matter? Is DNA enough to get a Jew into heaven? This is the great question because we have been learning salvation is by faith in Jesus alone and ethnicity cannot save you. Let me pause because I want to be sensitive here. I understand. But so many, especially my black and brown brothers and sisters, are looking for identity and flocking to heretical teachings because they're trying to find out who they are. And I'm sensitive to that. And I get to struggle in that. But do not allow your identity to be found solely in your ethnicity. It has got to be found in your creator. For anyone to be saved, I want to make it clear, they must, they must believe in Jesus. Yet many Jewish people have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. This leaves us with a real conundrum about the descendants of Abraham. In spite of their unbelief, are they all loved still by God in a saving way? Can a descendant of Abraham reject Jesus and still be under covenantal love? The answer is no. You cannot reject Jesus and be saved no matter who you are. Now, hold on. The Jewish people will reject, but we are his chosen people. And Paul addresses that rebuttal with this statement. Watch it very closely. Lean in on this one. And though he's writing it towards the Jewish audience, it really applies to all of us. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. You see that in verse six, 
Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. This is a play on words, and it may help to read it like this. Not all who are physically descendant from Israel belong to the true spiritual Israel. Physical, spiritual. He's starting to make the divide. There's genetic Israel, and then there's spiritual Israel. I could say it another way. Not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. Or I could say it another way. Every chicken sandwich is not the original chicken sandwich. I just figured I'd throw it in. I'm just going to slide it in. Oh, yeah, y'all don't need shit coming. Oh, pow, right there, right in your lip. Right there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody who says they're home of the original is not home of the original. Or another way to look at this in a modern way is if you walk past an Apple store, you may assume everyone in there is an Apple user or belongs to Apple because they are inside of an Apple store. They are under the name and under the roof, roof, but not everyone who is in the Apple store is part of the Apple family. Why? Because not everyone in the store has bought into Apple or believe in Apple. Some are just speculating. This is what Paul is saying. Everyone who comes to church is not part of the church. Just because they're under the roof doesn't mean that they belong to God. That's why you ought not judge Christianity according to people. You ought to judge Christianity according to the word. (laughs) If you base your Christianity on the behavior of people, you're going to be disappointed. That's why Gandhi said, I love your Jesus, but I hate those who say that they follow him. They don't act like him. You better put your basis of Christianity not on people, but on the word of God. This is what Paul is saying. Everyone is not truly Israel, although it may appear that way because of DNA. Look ahead a few verses in chapter 11. I mean, in chapter nine. He says, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, watch it, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Only a remnant will be saved. Friends, who's the remnant? The remnant are the true recipients of God's covenantal promise regarding salvation. God made many promises to Israel outside of salvation, including that very prized piece of land along the Mediterranean Sea that we hear about a whole lot in the news, right? The Middle East, peace in the Middle East. God also gave them plenty of other promises, land, glory, worship. All these things were given to the genetic descendants of Abraham. But Paul is saying not everyone in the Apple store will be saved. Only true Apple users will be saved. Only true Christians will be saved. Not everyone who attends church will be saved. Not all who are descended from Abraham are true, are true Israel. Will Judas be there? Judas who betrayed Jesus, will he be in heaven? Jesus guaranteed that he will be in hell. If genetic code was all you needed to be under the saving love of God, then everyone with Jewish blood is going to heaven. But that's clearly not the case. But in the Jewish mind, how can that be? God promised us eternal life. This is important because there are many teachers today that argue ethnic identity equals salvation. 
But Paul needs to separate the original chicken from the fake ones. And so he brings up Isaac to do so. I love this. He's, he's, he's threading the needle. He's taking their own Bible and he's showing them how this DNA genetic salvation is false. And now he brings up my homeboy, Isaac. Now, some of y'all may not know who Isaac is, but before you leave today, you'll know who Isaac is. But why is Isaac important? I think it is important to understand in the Old Testament, God has always been painting pictures of realities to come. God is usually pointing to something future in the Old Testament or using natural things to help us understand spiritual things. Or going back to the preview analogy, God will give previews so that when we see the movie, we would say, oh, that's what that was about. Or Paul in Romans 9 is like that article you read to help you understand the movie that you've seen and you may have missed some gems while you were doing it. Like Get Out, everybody was looking up articles to understand that movie. This is what Paul is doing for us. Well, Paul does just that. And he says, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Okay. Abraham was promised a son by Sarah, but it was taking too long, y'all. God told Abraham, listen, I'm going to give you a son. I'm promising, I'm swearing on my name that I'm going to give you a son. Well, it took a little bit too long. So him and his wife, they got together. You can only imagine. I need y'all to go there with me for a minute. They probably they, they in the tent. They've been trying week in and week out. They trying to get a son. They trying to have a child, and it ain't working. They ain't got no in vitro. They ain't nothing they could do. All they could do is wait on the blessings of the Lord. And so after checking, after checking the, the birth stick, it finds out that she's still negative. Sister girl ain't pregnant. So what do they do? They said, butter rum, we're going to take this into our own hands. God's taking too long. Oh, don't judge them. You ain't never did that. God promised you something and God was taking so long. And so what did you do? You took matters into your own hands. God move out the way. I'll do it myself. And every time you do it yourself, you end up in some mess. Some of y'all still paying for some stuff because you ain't have enough patience and enough faith to wait on God. And you still got that thorn in the side of your flesh. Well, here's Abraham and Sarah. They've been waiting on God, but he's taking too long. So they say, check it out. You can tell that the plan is already done because Sarah say, won't you go ahead and sleep with our servant? That's the Bible, y'all. I ain't lying. In other words, they say, since we can't get an original chicken, we're going to make our own chicken. Y'all with me yet? I'm trying to bring this up to y'all so y'all understand what I'm trying to say. They said, we're going to make our own chicken sandwich since God won't give us a chicken sandwich. And so what they do is Abraham leaves and he does what? He sleeps with Hagar. And out of that situation comes Ishmael. Here's the issue. God rejects Ishmael. Why does he reject Ishmael? He rejects Ishmael because Ishmael did not come by his power. Ishmael did not come by his authority. Because if the promise was contingent on Ishmael, then Abraham and Sarah would get all the glory. God wanted to do it in a way that he'll get all the glory. And so what God was doing is he waited for Sarah to become very old in age. 
He waited till it was impossible for her to have a child. Eggs were born over hard. Wasn't nothing happening in there. Empty. All right? God wanted to make sure that the womb was dead. He wanted to make sure that nobody got any of the glory. And he did it by waiting for her to get over. But they tried to get ahead of God. And God said, no, you're not going to do it my way. And here's the issue in the church. We're trying to cuss people into Christianity. We're trying to fuss them into Christianity. We're trying to convince them into Christianity. But God's not going to call somebody to be born again by you. God's going to do it himself. If your son and daughter get saved, it'll be because of God. The reason you got saved is because of God. You know how messed up and jacked up you were. You know, you know, you know, you know. You used to be over at Popeye's. God found you over there. But I'm so glad that God's grace is not like Popeye's chicken. It don't run out. It keeps going on and on and on. So God says, check it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let her get old, make sure that nobody gets the glory. Her womb will be dead by the time I show up. I'll make things that are not as if they were. I'll call light out of darkness. (laughs) Oh, y'all don't remember. God stepped out on nothing, spoke to nothing. But by the time he was done, there was something. Oh, you see? not with me. You were nothing. You gave nothing. By the time God was done, you were something. Y'all ought to give God some praise in this place for the power of his salvation and his ability to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ever think or even ask. And so God wants to be clear that salvation is of the Lord. That salvation is not of man. Y'all got to see what he's doing. This stuff is not happening on accident. God is trying to reveal himself. He could have let Sarah had a a baby in her early age. He, he, I mean, he could have did that, right? But he didn't. And Paul is explaining why he didn't. Because he wanted Abraham to know that I'm doing this. You are not doing this. But if you're smart, you'll realize that Abraham tried to jailbreak a cell phone. Just because you jailbreak an Apple phone doesn't make you a legitimate child. You are illegitimate. You did not come through the system, and so you're not real. But a reasonable Israelite could say, well, okay, yes, Ishmael was from Abraham, but he wasn't from Sarah. So that doesn't count. Same dad, different mom. Paul said, knew that was coming. Already got your car. I got something else for you. So now we have Abraham who begets Isaac through Sarah, right? Isaac grows up. God now comes to Isaac and gives him the same promises that he gives his dad. And so that it will carry on. So the inheritance will carry on. But here's the tripped out part. God does something even better. Isaac gets married to Rebecca, and they had no ultrasound back then, y'all. So they didn't know what was going on in the womb then. Don't y'all love them 3D ultrasound? I love, I love those things. But anyways, but they didn't have any ultrasound. And God tells Rebecca, hey, girl, you're going to have twins. 
I thought the ladies would have shouted in the place. Okay. So our girl, Rebecca, she pregnant with twins. Oh, I love it. And so, but God is still doing something in the background. And what God is doing is that he's taking away the excuses that God accepted Isaac. I mean, God rejected Ishmael because he was not of the same mother. And so he brings in Rebecca. And she has twins, Jacob and Esau. Now we have same daddy, same mama, two children of the same womb. What are you doing, God? God says, I'm going to choose the younger and I'm going to reject the older. What did he do? He totally pulled out DNA altogether. Because if it was according to DNA, Ishmael would have been saved and Esau would have been saved. But God says, no, nah, it don't work that way. I show mercy to whom I show mercy. I love whom I want to love. I'm free to do what I want to do. And so what God said is that I don't care if you go in the kitchen and make your own chicken sandwich. I'm going to choose which chicken sandwich that I'm going to enjoy. Okay, let me put it this way. Chick-fil-A I love, Popeyes I hate it. Oh, y'all not with me yet, okay. But let me talk about hate for a minute. Let me talk about hate for a minute. Hate here is known as a Jewish idiom where contrasts are taken to the extreme to make a point. Jesus did the same in Luke 14. If anyone would come after me, he must hate his father and mother. And Jesus doesn't mean literally that you should hate your father and mother. What he's saying in comparison to your love for me, it ought to look like hate towards your parents. Okay, ladies, let me see if I can help y'all out. I don't mind you caring for other women, but when your love for me ought to be greater than your love for them. Okay, y'all wasn't with me yet. I see, I see y'all, y'all want to act churchy this morning. But there ought to be a love that you have for your wife that you don't have for nobody else. There ought to be a distinguish between those two. Friends, what I'm trying to say is that God got a love for his church that he ain't got for the world. Yes, God so loved the world, but God really, 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 really loves you. And you know, you know, you know, you know that God loves you. Not because, and I know this teaching is going around. God doesn't love you because of the square inch of your home. Mm -mm. God doesn't love you because you got the promotion. No, that's not why God loves you. That's not what you should be measuring things by. God doesn't love you because you finally got that wife and husband you want. No, that ain't why God loves you. God, you shouldn't measure God's love because you, you shouldn't have made it home from that sorority party because you had a little bit too much of you know what. Uh, no, 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 no. You shouldn't measure God's love because of the people you slept with and you should have left with something, but you didn't. I mean, those things are good too, but you should know that God loves you because he has revealed Jesus to you. God loves all those whom he has revealed Jesus to. Y'all not with me yet. God's most prized possession. What God loves more than anything is Jesus. And if God says, won't you step in and see my son, you better believe without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you. You better keep your eyes fixed on the cross because if God saves you by Jesus Christ, that means that he loves you, church. 
Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? We know it wasn't because of their good works. We know it wasn't because of their moral decisions. And how do we know this? Because he chose Jacob before Jacob was ever born. Before Jacob ever did anything morally wrong, God had already chosen him. So why then did he choose one and not the other? This is what the text says. Look at it closely. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. Let me read it again. because I want you to see it. And so, that you know, the pastor is not speaking into the text. So that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. He says election. What does election mean? It is the act of picking out or choosing. The call of God in the election of God get at who is ultimately saved. Am I called because I believe or do I believe because I'm called? Am I elect because I believe or do I believe because I'm elect? If we apply the question to these two fetuses in the womb, the answer is obvious. God called in the, God called in the election preceded Jacob's faith. He is determined to be the son of the promise long before he was born. Why are some Jewish people perishing? Because God has not chosen to save them all. And why is everyone who call themselves Christians not going to heaven? Because they don't all belong to God. Wrapping back around to Paul's argument, has God's word failed? No, it has not. If you don't walk into heaven on that great day, it's not because God didn't keep his promises. It's because you didn't belong to him to, to, to start with. If you belong to him, you will remain with him because God is faithful. What do we learn from this? What do we, what do we learn from this? Number one, before you say God has failed you in a promise, Make sure you know what he said before you talk about what he didn't do. Oftentimes we get mad at God because we put stuff on God that God ain't said, which is why you ought to go and read your word. Make sure you fact check your preacher. Make sure you go do your own exegetical work and make sure you understand what God says, which is why we got a lot of people in a frenzy expecting the BMW from God, expecting no suffering expecting Christianity to be all rainbows and butterflies. Why? Because they ain't reading their word. When you read your word, then you'll know what he promised. The Jewish people made up DNA salvation. God never said that. God's salvation has always been through Jesus. What's the second thing we take away this morning? That friends, God loved you before you were born. If you knew what I said, you'll be shouting right now. 
God's love precedes you. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. How is this helpful? Because you will stop looking to yourself to give yourself reasons for God's love when God's love did not originate with you. So God's love cannot change because of you. Come here, Toy Story 4. Let me talk to y'all about Sporky before I sit down and get out of here. For those who were here and for those who didn't see Toy Story 4, I feel sorry for you. It been out a whole money. It is what it is. But here it is. The little girl, Bonnie, y'all remember the story. She created her own toy. The little toy was called Sporky, but Sporky had a love complex and his love complex is that he didn't understand after considering that he was made out of trash, how Bonnie could love him. But what he didn't realize is that Bonnie love was not contingent on Sporky. Bonnie loved Sporky way before Sporky ever loved her, but Sporky kept looking to himself. He kept looking to his resume. He kept looking to his bank account. He kept looking to his social status, but all Sporky he had to know is that the love that Bonnie had for him was not contingent on him. She loved him in spite of him. And friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that the cross exists because God loved you in spite of you. You're not with me yet. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that they hung him high and they stretched him wide and for you and me, he died. That's why you were in the dumpster. That's why you were running away from God. That's why you were doing your own thing. That's why you were at the sorority party acting a fool. That's why you were at the club. That's why you, when you were treating other people wrong, God said that I love you. And I'm so glad that there's a love that's not based on condition. I'm so glad that there's a love that's not based on me because I know I'm jacked up and I know I'm messed up and I know I don't always get it right. I don't always call it right. But there's a love that is deep and incomprehensible and inexplicable. Can I brag on them for a minute? There's a love, friends. Oh, there's a love. There's a love. There's a love for you. Oh, God has a love for you, church. It goes beyond you. God got a love that goes before you. You have no idea how much he loves you. The Bible itself has been trying to figure out ways to express to you the love of God for his church. And because he loves you, he will not fail you. He will not fail us. Death will not have the last say so over you. Sin will not have the last say so over you. Satan will not have the last say so over you. Because there is a love that is fighting for you. And that love will not be denied. It will have you. And you will be with him forever. Forever.